Welcome to Intentionally Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 39 features the offensive coordinator at Princeton University, Andrew Oreck. Coach details his career as a player at Princeton and discusses his journey in the coaching profession that landed him back with his alma mater. Coach also discusses the keys behind Princeton becoming the six-rated rushing offense in the nation in 2018, ways to protect your best run plays, and how coaches can create successful offensive linemen in their own programs. Coaches, don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave us a review on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with the larger community. This episode of Intentionally Grounded is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practices by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at www.goroute.com, that is G-O-R-O-U-T.com, or by emailing at sales at goroute.com. Or you can call the phone number at 866-777-1448. Episode 14 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Andrew Oreck starts now. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience and share your background in coaching. Uh, my name is Andrew Ork. I'm the offense coordinator and offensive line coach at uh, Princeton University in New Jersey. I was named offensive coordinator in late January. I've been on staff at Princeton for uh, seven of the last eight years. Um, I'm actually from Minnesota originally. Uh, I'm the youngest of four boys. We all played for my dad um, at Concordia Academy High School in Roseville, Minnesota. Um, and after that, I, I actually ended up going to Princeton and played offensive line there, graduated in 2006. Knew I wanted to get into coaching, and uh, at that time, I uh, didn't have any prospects at the college level, so I went back to Minnesota and, and coached with my dad for a year at, from, with my dad for a year at Concordia. Um, knew I wanted to get into college coaching, so uh, you know, was applying to every job I saw available, and ended up getting a job at Albright College, which is a Division three school in, in Reading, PA, and was there two years. Uh, worked with tight ends. Um, after that, uh, the head coach there had a connection at Rutgers and got me an opportunity to go there as a, uh, they call it player development, but it's like a quality control role. And I was in that position on offense and then moved to defense and moved down the field as a GA my second year. And uh, at that point, there's an opening at Princeton to go back, and it was for the running back's job. So I went there and was there. That was the 2011 season and coached running backs and coached a freshman running back who was a stud and ended up being rookie of the year and rushing for over 1,000 yards. Uh, but after that season, uh, Greg Shiano, who I worked for at Rutgers, got the, the head job for the Tampa Bay Bucks, And uh, I had an opportunity to go down there and uh, assisted with the linebackers and was the defensive quality control. Um, but after that season, I, I knew I wanted to get back into college coaching. And uh, opportunity presented itself to head back to Princeton again. And I've been there since. Started out tight ends and special teams. And then uh, moved to offensive line, was assistant head coach, associate head coach, and now uh, I'm in the role I'm in right now. Coach, what attracted you to Princeton, and how different was the culture there compared to where you grew up? Well, I mean, the, the, it's the obvious 
reasons where, you know, it's an elite education um, and the opportunity combined with that to play division one football was something that, you know, I really couldn't turn down. Uh, you know, I, I had opportunities to walk on at some bigger places, but you know, the, the education plus the, the fact that they were recruiting me and saying, we're going to, we want you and you have one of our spots uh, meant a lot to me. Um, and I just couldn't turn down the, the opportunity to get that degree. Uh, you know, the difference with Princeton as opposed to, you know, growing up in Minnesota is, you know, it was just a, a much more diverse place with people from, you know, all over the world come from all different backgrounds. You know, I came across a lot of different, you know, political than what I was exposed to growing up in Minnesota. Um, you know, just a little more worldly view of things than I was used to uh, uh, growing up in Minnesota. You know, what I realized early on, though, is most students were just like me, though. Uh, you know, they enjoyed sports, playing video games, you know, et cetera. You know, they just happened to also be really smart and highly successful and, you know, pretty much anything they, would, they wanted to do. What has changed within the Princeton program from your time as a player to now as a coach? Well, we have, uh, you know, a number of facility upgrades that directly impact our players that have happened since, you know, I was a player and now as a coach. We got, we got, we bubble our game field, put a bubble over it right after our last game. And that comes down May 1st. So they have an opportunity to use the, you know, the field, you know, throughout the off season, whether it's our winter workouts or it's them going in there on their own and throwing as quarterbacks and receivers, uh, you know, or doing captain's practices on their own. Uh, when I was playing, we had two grass fields that would get torn up, uh, you know, pretty much every season. And now we have turf fields. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We got meeting rooms now uh, that uh, obviously is, is, is huge for our players. And also they, they redid the locker room as well. So, you know, facility standpoint, it's like a different place. Um, with the exception of we still have this big, beautiful stadium. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the talent level, not just at Princeton, but throughout the entire, the entire Ivy League has is, is improved dramatically. You know, there are a ton of kids uh, throughout the league that turned down FBS and Power 5 offers to get the Ivy League education. Um, our head coach, Bob Serrace, has done an unbelievable job, job in recruiting. You know, he finds the type of kids who want the challenge presented to them by, by coming to Princeton, and that's the challenge to, you know, be – an elite student, but also being an elite football player. Um, you know, the culture at Princeton now for football is, is built upon competition and, you know, developing the players when they get here. So, you know, our practice is set up to be extremely challenging and tense so that when they get to game day, you know, that's the easiest part of their week. Um, and Coach Race, who is an alum, has, you know, built a culture where the players know, you know, they're going to be able to reach their full potential on the football field and also in the classroom. Um, you know, we really do have a unique setup uh, where there are no issues with players with classes they can't like they, they can't take because of football. It's you know they know a student's gonna come here. They know I'm gonna be able to do everything I want to do academically while also you know getting the experience uh, playing Division One football. With all the good things that are going on in Princeton and all the pluses that it has on the other side of things, what is the most difficult aspect of coaching and recruiting players at an Ivy League school and remaining competitive year in and year out? Uh, well, from recruiting, I mean, it's, it's, it's more challenging than anywhere else just because you're looking for a certain type of student that admissions wants. Um, so our list of recruits shrinks quickly, you know, when we get confirmed GPAs and test scores. You know, and with that small list, you know, you're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, heated recruiting battles with your Ivy League rivals um, because we're all recruiting the same kids. And, you know, you also end up with, you know, a lot of kids who are, very high level recruits that have those grades. And now, 
you know, that list can shrink even faster if they just, you know, tell you, hey, I'm, I'm going to focus my energy on these, these Power 5 offers I have. Sometimes, like I said before, you know, we end up getting some of those kids. Um, you know, coaching the Ivy League is, is only challenging uh, because you've got to get your football in around their academic schedule. And, you know, Princeton, like I, as I said, we're lucky because 4.30 to 7.30 is set, a, set aside as athletic practice time. So there are no classes uh, allotted during that time. So we never have to worry about conflicts with classes. But you still got to be able to get your meetings in with your players around their class schedules. And also they got to get their lifts in during the season around their class schedules. So you do run into uh, some issues with that, but never, never anything that can't be figured out. It's just, you know, the, the setup that a lot of people have where the kids go to class and then they come to football and you have meetings and then you have practice. It's not that way. We have practice. We have practice at our set time, and then we got to get our meetings around their, their their class schedule. Now, last year you were very instrumental in Princeton becoming the sixth-rated rushing offense in the nation. What are some of your key concepts that your rushing attack was built around? Well, first off, uh, we're a no-huddle offense, that we, and we want to play extremely fast. So anything we do in the run game, uh, we have to do it with tempo, and we got to get the O-line on the same page quickly. Um, so, you know, every run play we have has a base foundation of the play that allows us to run it versus, you know, any defense, uh, no matter what, if they're lined up. Uh, and we and we do that that way because, you know, there's going to be times when you're playing fast, they're not going to be lined up and you're not going to get calls up. So if everybody has their base foundation, what the play is, they're going to be able to, you know, run the play effectively and, and end up blocking the right people. Um, but to do that, the O-line has to have, you know, the – the understanding of the run concept and not just memorize rules because it really is an overarching foundation that every guy has to understand. Um, and then along with that, you know, without, before we get schemes, like you have to be able to uh, account for the front side and backside edge in all the run games. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, depending who your personnel is, it can dictate different ways to do that. Um, and, and then and then we try to prioritize getting the ball to our best players in the run game. So year to year, our run game can change slightly to account for, you know, who those players are. So we carry a lot of different schemes and variations within those schemes. I would say our, our two base runs that always end up being number one and number two called every year is inside zone of power. And the reason that they end up being that way is because these, these, those two plays are great versus all looks that you possibly get. And it fits the mentality that we want to create, uh, you know, being a physical offense um, that can run, run our plays no matter how the defense is aligned. And how do you protect those base run plays? Because, you know, teams are going to start loading up against those plays and try to take them away. So, you know, what ways do you protect those base plays? And maybe what are some variations you use within those base plays? Well, the, the most basic way is to have perimeter throws to the field and boundary like you see every college team doing on TV. And those are going to protect you versus, you know, some type of edge pressure by the defense or, like you said, defense is getting that extra defender in the box by bringing a safety down. Uh, they also can protect you versus just highly aggressive, you know, quarter safeties uh, that can create really tough looks where basically if they're aggressive enough, you're going to end up with a nine-man box. Um, formationally, we like to protect our runs by, you know, just putting stress on the defensive back end. Um, and forcing them to re remove defenders from the box, you know, that's really more of a week-by-week week week deal to, to see how teams are aligning the formations and some of their base coverages. Um, so we'll do some of that. Um, you know, we'll also protect runs by giving the quarterback the ability to throw the ball off the movement of a third-level defender 
whether it's some type of glance. Um, but essentially, you want to do RP, RPOs to protect yourself versus a defense that looks that you would not want to run the ball into. Um, if there's a way to do that that is advantageous for us, we're going to do it. You know, uh, you know, variations, a lot of our variations show up in our zone schemes, whether it's reading a defensive end on the backside or an interior defensive lineman on the backside or reading the weak side linebacker and replacing his movement with some type of route by a receiver or tight end. Uh, you know, you also can, you know, man the backside in those zone schemes and man the defensive lineman and insert the tight end or fullback for the, the weak side linebacker. Um, but that's like a lot of the variations that will show up, uh, you know, with the inside zone, some of those are kind of uh, no-goes because you don't really want to re- uh, read an interior defensive lineman if you're on inside zone because he's able to make the tackle either way. But it's good when it's more perimeter runs. We run a mid-zone, or if you have some type of true outside zone, those are great. Uh, you know, within the gap schemes, to me, gap schemes, it's not necessarily variations. It's just different gap schemes. So, you know, power is our number one, but we also run counter. Uh, we also will run power read, and that's, you know, I would say it's a variation on just true power because now you're reading the front side DN as opposed to blocking him. Um, but then along with that, you, you run into teams when you run power read who are highly aggressive uh, with their front side linebacker. So now you can run counter read and you can kick out that defensive end and read the, the front side linebacker. So, you know, it can put the defense in, uh, in a tough position if you can handle those, those two power read and, and counter read well. Now, what type of wrinkles and variations will your offense feature this year in comparison to the offense that Coach Gleason ran previously? Well, I think to me it's all about knowing who your personnel is and then just trying to get those guys the ball as much as possible. So we're going to continue to run our offense. It may look different than last year just because, you know, our top players will have changed a little bit because of graduation. Um, So we'll have to be creative to make sure that we're getting the, the right players the ball enough, you know, throughout the game. Um, you know, I think some position battles this spring may dictate how we handle, you know, the backside edge in the run, run game, specifically the quarterback position battle, because, you know, blocking that backside edge can, uh, you know, blocking it versus reading it is really dictated by, you know, who's that quarterback and if he's a good enough athlete. Um, but I think the biggest thing is we just got to make sure we continue to play fast and keep the pressure on the defense, uh, you know, all the time, and then obviously get the ball to our playmakers. So I don't think you'll see a huge difference, difference other than, We'll just have to be more creative as the players have changed who are who are our playmakers. Now, it seems as if developing quality offensive linemen has grown in difficulty over the past few years at all levels of football. What do you believe are the key components to developing quality offensive linemen, and what drills slash teaching points would you say are the critical ones to their development? Well, playing offensive line is, is not uh, a natural body movement. Um, so I believe... You know, the biggest thing is you got to get those players comfortable being uncomfortable with the movements of playing offensive line. And once they understand that, uh, the next thing you have to do is uh, you got to get them to use their strength to effectively move defenders. And that's the way I explain it to my guys. It's all about generating power. Um, and I believe that's done by driving, you know, off your insteps and taking the power that you generated from the ground and putting it in the defender to effectively move them. Uh, so we focus on, you know, driving off those insteps striking the defender uh, with our insteps in the ground, both insteps in the ground to make sure we're, you know, generating the most power on contact. Uh, I'm a big believer in the dry block progression. You know, you get them into the fit position on the defender after contact has been made. That's, that's drill number one. And you have the O-lineman drive the defender off the ball, 
with the correct body position. Then you go back to the body mechanics of getting them from their stance to the position on the defender. And when they understand both of those parts, then you can put it all together uh, to have them execute a full block. Um, and I think that's the same in pass pro. Uh, you got to teach them the body position we want that you want them in in pass pro. Um, and then you got to teach them the body mechanics to move efficiently in this position so they can ke- continue to keep the defenders covered up and keep their body between him and the quarterback. Uh, and then you have to work on striking the defenders correctly, you know, having your insteps in the ground and contacted again, stop the movement of the defender. Uh, and at that point, that's when we put it all together, um, you know, to, to have them continually to, to move efficiently while they're in contact with the defender and pass pro. Uh, so I believe it's all about, you know, just teaching the body mechanics of the movements. You know, we'll, we'll do that and just teaching them how to generate the power uh, through the defender um, by getting their insteps in the ground. Now, kind of going along with the, the up-tempo style of your offense, as you mentioned earlier, how do you communicate with your players or how do you teach your linemen to communicate with one another when they're having to digest a lot of different fronts at a very high speed efficiency? So, uh, you know, the, the way I teach it is the center is going to be the one who's going to dictate what front uh, it is. And then from that point, I have them understand that within every front we're going to see, there is a set of calls that are going to cover 95 to 97% of every situation for each play. And as long as you can get that call out because you know, oh, it's this, it's this front, this is my call, we're going to be right 97% of the time. And that rare 3% or 5, five to 3% that shows up is more about, um, you know, the – the specialty looks you might get that you got to get taught during game week, but it's also about them falling back on the foundation of the play and understanding, well, if it's a gap scheme, I'm not really sure what my call is right now, but I know I'm on the front side of the play and I'm responsible for my inside gap. So I better step up my inside foot first. And if anything shows up on my inside gap, I better block it and then lift it vertically. Now, do you drill that kind of into the players throughout the week or through camp in terms of like training them how to communicate those things at a fast pace, or is it just something that your guys are able to pick up kind of in the speed of the flow? Yeah, that's when we're when we're doing any drill, I'm giving them the cadence, and they're they're giving me the calls every every single drill we do uh, because it's just it's too important to them to understand that part of it. And then along with it, we treat we teach them a certain uh, uh, you know set of uh, checkpoints that or checklists that they should they should take care of at the beginning of every single play, and we equate it to how in basketball when you're shooting a free throw, uh, uh, you know a good free throw shooter has the same routine before every single free throw. He takes his three dribbles. So we have our three dribbles where they should know where to align, what my assignment is. That should be the foundation of the play, and then they should know uh, the defensive front cover for the guys up front. We're talking about front, um, and then the last part is you know. Uh, active read defense and employee technique. So they should follow that checklist in that order every play, and that'll let them always be ready to go. And the guys who don't do that are the ones who are um, laid off the ball because they're trying to process the information a different way or, um, you know, just trying to wing it. Else when the ball snapped, then they're, they're laid off the ball. Now, outside of your coaching career, Coach, what has been your most impo- impactful experience in terms of developing who you are as a man? Uh, I would say I really have two experiences that have been uh, really impactful for me. Um, first was growing up watching my dad coach. You know, as a coach, uh, you know, he's a great leader of young men. Uh, he focused on 
you know, develop, developing his guys beyond the football field. Um, and he carried himself on the practice field in a way where the players really respected him and listened to what he was saying. And he chose when to make a, a point dramatically uh, to get it across to the players. And just growing up around football showed me, um, you know, how big of an impact coaches can have on the, on the lives of their players. And it's something, you know, that's the reason I want to get into coaching because I, I saw the impact he was having on his players and I saw the impact that coaches were having on me and my teammates and it made me want to get into, get into coaching. You know, secondly, uh, getting the opportunity to come to Princeton as a student athlete uh, is something I'm forever, forever grateful, uh, great, forever grateful for. Um, you know, you do, I learned that I can balance my time and I can be successful in a very competitive environment um, you know, in the classroom and on the football field. And I think the two big, the two biggest things you learn in college, specifically at Princeton, is how to critically think and how to problem solve. And those are two things that are going to let you be, be successful in whatever you do in, in your life. And, you know, I try to get that across, across the recruits because we're a liberal arts education. So, you know, they don't have to come in saying, I want to major in this because I want to do this for my career. And they just need to know, like, I'm going to learn those two things and that's going to help me be successful in whatever I, whatever I want to do. And it doesn't really matter what I want to major in. Um, and that's why there's so many Princeton grads who go out there and be successful in, in so many different fields. Uh, you know, I got all the benefits that come from playing football, uh, you know, at a, you know, in college, just like everybody else. And they talk about all those benefits, but I also got it with uh, the tools that Princeton's academics, you know, supplied me with. So though I think those are the two big things that kind of, you know, created the person I am today and, and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And as we wrap up here, Coach, we have a tradition on our show, uh, and our last question is nothing related to football, but it just kind of helps us get to know you a little bit more as an individual. And that question is, if you had to choose a walk-up song as a professional baseball player or a professional wrestler, what would your walk-up song be, and you got to tell us why? Oh, man. I... <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what I have a walk-up song. I, so I'm a, I'm a big country music guy. Uh, and during practice, we have music that's more suited to what the players like uh, to get, have them, you know, enjoy practice and have a lot of energy. But where the O-line is located uh, in the spring, we get a huge benefit because baseball, the baseball field is right next to us. So during practice, the baseball team plays a lot of country music. And – whether or not the players enjoy it, I really enjoy it. So I can't really give you a specific song, but it would be a country song and not a necessarily a pump-up song, more of like I enjoy this music type of song. If you found this podcast helpful, Please leave a review on iTunes and help grow our program with others.